0: Thank you for joining us for this episode of the IPI Policy Basics Podcast. Today's topic is The Debt Obligations of the Federal Government Are Bigger Than You Think. We're coming to you today from the studios of Salem Media Group in Dallas, Texas. I'm Tom Giovanetti, the president of the Institute for Policy Innovation. With our IPI Policy Basics Podcast, We are building an audio reference library on basic policy concepts and topics for those who want to learn and understand how to think about policy or for those who need to get up to speed on a particular issue. So today we're going to talk about the real total obligations of the federal government. And I'm tempted to think we should have made this our Halloween episode. (laughs) Because it's scary. Because it's big and scary. And to lead us through this conversation is our resident scholar, Dr. Merrill Matthews. Dr. Matthews, uh, we hear gigantic numbers Mm -hmm. uh, and numbers that have gone up dramatically in just the last decade or so. Uh, But your message for us today, I think, is that it's even worse than we think.
1: It's worse than we think, and a lot of it is just not part of the debate, Uh, but there's been a lot of discussion about the federal debt recently, especially as we're looking at perhaps passing legislation that would add trillions more to the federal debt, and so some people look at this and it scares them, and some economists say this is going to be a real problem for us in the future. Others right now look at it and say, this really isn't a problem. We've got the money to do it. We've got a big economy and we're we're borrowing the money from ourselves. And so it's not going to really be an ultimate problem. So that's one of the questions that we want to try to attack, look at. How mm-hmm. big is the debt and how big of a problem is it? So first off, let's make a distinction between federal debt and federal deficit. And that's because I see people using those terms interchangeably, interchangeably author- right. and, and they are not interchangeable. Right. The deficit is an annual estimate when you're looking at how much money the federal government spends more than it takes in. So that's the deficit for that year. That deficit gets rolled over and that goes into the accumulated deficits, which makes the federal debt. Mm -hmm. And what we're looking at right now is about twenty nine trillion dollars in total federal debt. That's when they're when they're talking about how much money does the federal government owe. It's about twenty nine trillion billion trillion dollars as federal
0: debt now i just want to interject here that it wasn't that long ago that our federal debt was in single digits yes i mean just like a couple or three presidents ago we were in single digits
1: right and i actually have some of those numbers mm-hmm. so you know barack obama was spending about a trillion dollars a year but he came in during that financial recession and so forth and right. so people looked at that uh donald trump spent a little more than that but of course that was part of the pandemic but just going back um in 1996 we had a tr of federal debt of just over five trillion dollars. So five trillion 1996, it took us about 12 years all the way to 2008 to where we went to 10 trillion dollars. So it doubled, it took about 12 years for it to double. In 2017 it doubled again to about 20 trillion dollars. And of course by doubling, you know you're, you're doubling much bigger figures yes, so, right right. So the years are going down and the figures are going up significantly. And by 2021, 2022, so right around now, we're at about 29 trillion. We're getting real close to going over to 30 trillion. So we we could see a a figure going from 20 trillion to 30 trillion in debt in really just uh, maybe three or four years, maybe five years. So it's growing exponentially at a much faster rate and with much higher figures.
0: Now, one of the puzzles, I think, about the federal debt is that. Based on the numbers that you just went through, uh, when we had five trillion dollars in federal debt, them were the good old days. Yes, right. Except at the time, I'm sure we all thought we thought it was huge that the sky was falling. Yes, right. And so this is partly why we and we don't want to go off on a rabbit trail here, but this is part of why progressives on the left essentially act like there's no limit on how much debt the country can handle because, you know, for those of us who have been concerned about debt over the years, it's like. It's like we you know we were chicken little. We were the ones who were running around saying the sky is falling and it, and it didn't fall.
1: this is, it, we've said it was a huge amount, and the day may come when we're going to see rapid inflation and other things mm-hmm. that we just didn't see. and other and some people, even some libertarian leaning economists have pointed out, well, as long as others as long as people or other countries are willing to buy our debt mm-hmm. and and keep that interest rate low, It may not ultimately be a problem, but we're coming to a time when it just may be a problem. And I would, I just point out quickly that if people want to find out more about this and just look at those figures, they can go to the national debt clock. It's national debt clock. It's easy to find on the internet and it keeps a, uh, a real-time running track record of what the federal debt is, plus a, a lot of other expenditures there. So you can go and see that $29 trillion and see that figure rolling over as more and more debt is added. But the other thing the National Debt Clock does is it asks the question, okay, how much is this, if we've got a $29 trillion national debt right now, how much is that per citizen and per taxpayer? Now, they use the term per citizen. They actually mean each person in America, some of those won't be citizens, mm. but they, they're looking at roughly uh, 330 uh, million people.
0: So they're actually including, like, children, too. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh,
1: children, man, woman, child, here here legally, here illegally, and so forth. Yeah. And if you do that, it works out to about $87,000 per person that we owe if that $29 trillion debt. Mm. If you look at taxpayers, because little children aren't taxpayers, their parents are. Um, There are households in which you've got maybe four or five people in the family, but only one's actually paying the taxes. Mm. But if you look at it per taxpayer, it comes out to about $230,000 per taxpayer. So it's a lot of money.
0: Now, as a libertarian, you know, these kind of comparisons, I think they're helpful to help people sort of visualize, you know, Mm -hmm. huge numbers. But I have to interject here that I always recoil at these comparisons because— I didn't contract for that debt. No, but you owe it. (laughs) Well, I don't think I do. (laughs) I don't think I do owe it. I think the federal government owes it. I mean, this goes to one of my hobby horses, that the federal government is not the country. Mm -hmm. We We are a country. We are a people with a government, but the government and the country are not the same thing. And it is the government that owes that debt, not me. If the government were to try to come to me and try to collect my share of that debt, I would be on the first plane out of the country. So I just, I, I, yeah, I'm, just I'm trying to make sort of a bit of a humorous point, but right. uh, these comparisons always bug me because I refuse to accept that I owe that debt.
1: Right. Because the federal government took it on and you may have actually opposed
0: it. Absolutely.
1: Uh, having said that, as economists will point out, all this debt is a claim on taxpayers' yes. future earnings. that's exactly and right. And so, ultimately, taxpayers have to pay for these things, whether we're borrowing the money or whether we're um, whether we're printing it. And so, that's where that's where we are with just the twenty nine trillion dollar federal debt right now. But what we want to point out is that's not the only obligation the federal government has. There is still Social Security and Medicare. And those are obligations that we have taken on and that we've taken on a long-term obligation. And even though there's money coming in to help pay for that, there are unfunded obligations. Though That money coming in is not going to pay the obligations forever.
0: And this is why people like you and I have for many years now been talking about our entitlements crisis. Right. Because we have been paying out more in benefits than we've been taking in in premiums and taxes to pay for these entitlements the the gap is getting bigger and bigger as time goes on not smaller and smaller and the government has made you know th- These are concrete promises that the government has made to people that it just has no plan whatsoever to be able to fulfill.
1: Right. Exactly. And even though Congress could at some point come up that you do not have a private property right to Social Security, so Congress could conceivably come up and say, we're ending all Social Security payments right now, but that's not going to happen. No, it's not. So it does have, you do have these long-term unfunded liabilities for Social Security and Medicare. So what are those long-term unfunded liabilities? Well, fortunately, we have the trustees, Social Security and Medicare trustees, who oversee these. These are economists, and they track and and calculate what they think that long-term unfunded liability is. And right now, they have they do a, a estimate based upon seventy-five years out and what they call the infinite horizon, which is essentially how much are we going to have to pay yeah. to 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 sort of make these programs whole. And the social security trustees estimate that the infinite horizon unfunded liability for social security right now is $59.8 trillion. So ultimately that 59.8 trillion is about twice the current federal debt that we have in unfunded liabilities, but that's just social security. Mm-hmm. Medicare is even worse financial shape than social security. And so the Medicare, social security and Medicare trustees estimate that the unfunded liability over the infinite horizon for medicare is 103.4 trillion dollars mm. a lot of money so you put those together and you get up to you come up to about 163 trillion dollars for social security and medicare and unfunded liabilities and <laughs> it's just a, a phenomenal figure yep so if you if you were to say all right what's the uh, what's the per, the tax power the per person obligation for that? If we were just looking at Social Security and Medicare, it's nearly five hundred thousand dollars per person living in the country.
0: Yeah, I think it may be time, like today, for me to go ahead and book that plane fare out of the country.
1: <laughs> and but that's just Social Security and Medicare's unfunded liability. If we go back and in the add in the fifty the twenty nine trillion dollars that we have in federal debt. Then you get up to about $572,000 for every person in the country, mm. all 330 million of them. And so we're looking at some really big figures out there. And if you say, well, uh, the children aren't paying that, the, you know, seniors who are very old or are very poor, aren't paying that. If you get up to taxpayers, that works out to about $2.2 2 million per taxpayer that we have in unfunded liabilities when you talk about the debt and social security and Medicare. So a whole lot of money, but not even that even that's not everything because you have the trust. The social security trust fund has $2.9 trillion in it. But as you and I've talked about over the years, the, the federal government has borrowed that money. Mm-hmm. So that $2.9 trillion it, for the federal government to pay that back in Social Security, which it sort of assumes money's there, it's got to go out and borrow it from somebody. It's got to take it from someplace. So there's another $2.9 you could add to that. You've got federal workers who have pensions that are going to be paid by the federal government. <laughs> That's money that we haven't. Uh, okay, so, so
0: federal employee pensions and things like that don't show up in any of those categories I don't yet. believe those come in yeah, there. Okay.
1: Military pensions don't come in there. And so there is, and then there's the interest rate. So right now we've had very low interest rates from the federal government. Mm-hmm. It has to pay that interest on loans. But if the interest rates start going up and the federal reserve, it says we're going to start raising interest rates here in the near future. We don't know how far those go, but if you were to significantly raise the interest rates, well, even if you raise interest rates a little bit, that's a bigger claim on future Um, taxpayer obligations that we're going to have to pay. So we may be just looking, I don't want to say the tip of the iceberg, but my goodness, it is there. There's a lot more that could be added into those figures that we're talking about.
0: Let's talk for a minute about just sort of like sort of a general philosophy of a federal debt, because it's not really fair to compare a nation to like a family, Mm -hmm. right? Because, uh, the thing about families or the thing about individuals is, at some point, you die and you actually have to settle up your debts, right? Mm-hmm. Well, countries, in theory, at least, never die and never actually have to settle everything up. So, the real way I think to view federal debt is whether it's serviceable or not, right? Right. And so, this is why a few years ago, I at least would have said I'm not worried about the debt because, as long as it is at a, as long as the economy is growing. As long as the country can service the interest payments on the debt, it's not really that big of a deal. It can be just rolled over and rolled over indefinitely. But the problem is this issue of servicing the debt, right? Mm-hmm. Because as you point out, uh, those interest payments, those debt payments are now much, much higher than they were when we had a $5 trillion in debt. Mm-hmm. And if interest rates start to go up, suddenly just simply servicing the debt could swamp the entire federal budget. And there's only so much you can raise taxes. Right. Or people will refuse people will refuse to pay them. Or literally, you know, capital is mobile. People can move their money out of the country and people can decide, you know what, now's the time for me to move to Mexico or something like that. So, you know, there's there's not a you talk about infinite horizons of liability. There's not infinite horizons of taxpayer revenue. You right. can't just raise taxes and raise however much money you need to raise.
1: And fortunately, other countries have been willing to buy our debt. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not only Americans and businesses and so forth, but other countries have, because it has been considered that this is a safe uh, investment. Even if the interest rates are low, they will get their money back plus interest.
0: Exactly. That's the old full faith and credit of the U.S. Treasury. Right. But will
1: they always be willing to buy that debt? And we just don't have a good answer for that. And then you've got the other issues that we have. Just looking forward in the future, you've got progressives out there who are willing to add just uh, unreasonable amounts to the federal debt because Mm -hmm. they want to try to create new programs, provide free health care for everyone. So they're willing to add all kinds of new debt to it. You've got Janet Yellen, who is the uh, Secretary of the Treasury, who came out with a ludicrous statement Uh, last week saying when she was looking at the Build Back Better, she said, well, this thing is actually paid for, and in fact, in the next 10 years, after the first 10 years, in the second 10 years, it's going to uh, reduce debt by $2 trillion. Nobody, no honest person believes that, and yet she was willing to make that kind of statement, and then you've got the issue of the Congressional Budget Office, which Was looking at the Build Back Better and said, uh, "If you said, if you look at this and say, well, it has roughly, it it says on its on its surface that it's nearly paid for, wasn't completely, but if you take these programs that people wanted to make really wanted to make permanent, but they didn't because of the cost of it, you do that, you've got an extra three trillion dollars. There's so much more coming, or potentially could be coming, that we're just they're, they're just not paying any real attention to this debt."
0: So when you say they're not paying attention to the debt, you're talking about politicians, right? Right. We're talking about politicians and bureaucrats, and I think that's a completely defensible statement. But I think it's fair to say that markets do pay attention. Yes, they do to debt, and so and a
1: lot of voters do yes. as
0: well. So let's talk for just a moment. Uh, let's just sort of game this out and explain to folks how this works. So the the way the federal government borrows money is by issuing issuing Treasury bonds, mm-hmm. right? And so to get people to buy treasury bonds, like if you're, if the government is offering a 10 year treasury bond at 2.9%, what the government is saying is if you give us, you know, $10,000, 10 years from now, we will give you back your $10,000 plus 2.9% interest. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that's how it works. That's literally logistically how that works. And so you have individual investors and you have mutual funds and you have uh, other countries, buying that debt. But at some point, when people start to lose some of their confidence in the full faith and credit of the U.S. Treasury, because of these enormous amounts of debt, they may start saying, you know, this is riskier than it used to be. Uh, I'm not going to buy that for two point, a promise of 2.9%. I'm going to require a, a promise more along the lines of 6 or 7 or 8% mm-hmm. before I'll buy that note. That's how markets will respond to these kinds of huge debt figures. And if the US Treasury has to start promising people seven and eight percent interest on that debt rather we're, than we're two done. or three, then we're done. Because that's that's what we mean by the cost of servicing the debt suddenly goes up really, really high. Mm-hmm. And if people think that the federal government has control over the interest rates that they pay, they don't. The Federal Reserve does not set interest rates on treasury bonds the market sets those rates
1: and that's why you see when people are fleeing the uh, the stock market or something and they're moving into bonds you see the pri- the mm-hmm. interest rates going down exactly because there's a lot of movement in there and the interest rates go down because it, they can they can it get is them it's pure
0: supply and demand if the more people that want to buy treasury bonds the lower the interest rate and the fewer people that want to buy them the higher the interest rate you have to offer right And so people should not be under the delusion that somehow, well, the Federal Reserve will just keep interest rates low and that will will prevent a debt crisis. The Federal Reserve is not in charge of those interest rates. Those are set by the free market, by what what a willing buyer is willing to pay for that bond.
1: In fact, we have a country right now that thinks they can set the interest rates, and that's Turkey. And mm-hmm. what you've been seeing is the the value of the Turkish lira has been dropping significantly. That's right. Because simply because they're trying, the the head of the country is just trying to says, "I can go out and we can establish what the interest rates are, and that's we won't low interest rates, so we're doing that, and it's dro- it's uh, essentially making the value of the Turkish lira worthless.
0: Because this because this this is what you expect a government to do when it gets backed into a corner, you know. By the process we were just talking about, by the market, the market will no longer buy your debt right. at a rate you're willing to offer. And so at that point, then the only option the government has is just to crank up the printing presses. Mm-hmm. And at that point, you have the devaluation of currency, and this is how it happens. and it ha- We see this sort of thing happen regularly in other countries. It's never happened in the United States. But if you think somehow that we are special and immune from this, I think, future generations may rise up and call you cursed <laughs> because, uh, math is math. And, you know, I also have to say that we at the Institute for policy innovation, we have done our part on this, uh, a number of years ago, uh, we were at the forefront of designing a reform plan for social security that would have solved the social security liability problem would have totally eliminated it over 75 years. Uh, you, Dr. Matthews have done a ton of work not only on entitlement reform for Social Security, but also in Medicare and Medicaid. And you wrote a book last year. Mm-hmm. What's the title of your book on again? On the Edge. On the Edge. Um, face was it facing the entitlements cliff? Is that no. the subtitle? Right. And by the way, that book is available on IPI's website, and it's available if you just send us an email here at IPI. We will help you get a copy of that. So we've done our part here at IPI in trying to design solutions to these to these problems. It's just that politicians have shown zero interest. Uh, Donald Trump showed zero interest in doing anything to rein in entitlements. And now during the Biden administration, they're pushing the gas pedal all the way to the floor. And they're trying to, it's almost like their goal is to add more debt rather than a problem. It's, It's like adding more debt is a opportunity to them rather than a problem to solve. Well, and, and as you say, Dr. Matthews, uh, the day is coming where we will have to take the federal debt seriously. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if, if politicians don't proactively take it seriously, uh, reality and markets will force them to. Well, on that positive note, you can find a lot more about federal spending, budgets, and deficits at our website at ipi.org. If you've enjoyed this podcast, How about giving us a favorable review on iTunes or on your favorite podcast platform? And you can also help to sponsor these podcasts by becoming a member of IPI's Giving Society. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you next time.